welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series on the book of James. This series ran in January and February 2024. We hope you enjoy this message and that it offers some meaning for your life. All right, you guys can all be seated. And the, um, so if you, if you don't have a Bible and you want to get one, run back there and get one. Otherwise, just use your, your phone and your app. We're looking at the book of James, chapter 1. We're just starting today. So, I feel so weird. I usually only am wearing a t-shirt. People have said they've never seen me with a sweater on before. All right. So, as I already mentioned, today we begin our look at the New Testament letter of James. Is there anybody here who's at all familiar with this book? Okay, so I, okay, people back there. Okay, so the rest of you, I can tell you anything and you'll believe it. So that's great. Here's, here's how one commentator describes this letter. No other New Testament book is quite like it. Catchy, practical, and in your face. The book of James jumps straight into the nitty gritty of daily life. James takes the lofty doctrines of the gospel and brings them down to earth. He steps on your toes. At times, he punches you in the gut. More than anything, James wants you to do something with the gospel. He wants you to live it out. Hopefully, that's, hopefully that little description it serves both as an enticement, because this, this really is an exciting book. Hopefully, I'll do justice to it. And as a warning, um, because this letter is going to challenge each and every one of us constantly. It's going it's to force us to ask, is my faith just something that I recite on Sunday morning, or do I live it out each and every day? And those two things are very, very different. Now, you guys remember when we looked at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount last fall? Um, Jesus kept, remember Jesus kept focusing on changing our hearts, not just our outer, but, but our inner hearts deep down to change us to, into who we are as children of God. James takes the next step, okay? So he constantly challenges us, us to live out who we are. Jesus changes us. James constantly challenges us to live out our identity. After all, what good is a faith if it isn't lived, okay? So through these next five weeks, we're going to be looking at what what it looks like to live out our faith and some of the things that get in the way of doing that, okay? Some of the, the daily things that get in the way of doing it. So let's start at verse one. And if you're, if you're looking for James, it's right after Hebrews at the, end of the, at the end of the New Testament, or near the end of the New Testament. Okay, starts out verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, tradition has it, that the James who wrote the letter was James the brother of Jesus, okay? Some people don't even know that Jesus has brothers and sisters. Some scholars disagree with that. They believe that the letter was more likely written after James' death by one of James' followers. But it doesn't matter to us because either way, whoever wrote it wanted us to understand what the author was saying in terms of who James was and what James's reputation was, okay? So for our purposes, for these next five weeks, as far as we're concerned, the author is James, the half-brother of Jesus, okay? And here's what we know about James. James, along with the rest of Jesus' siblings, did not originally believe that Jesus was God's Messiah. I mean, think about it. You know, can, can any of us imagine that our, that our brother or sister is the Messiah sent from God? I mean, that would just be weird. Okay, in fact, Mark tells us that at times, Jesus' family even thought that he was a bit off his rocker. Remember, there was that time when they came to take him away because they thought he was nuts. Um, but at some point, James... 
James' views changed, and people think that it was probably after Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to James. Um, and ultimately, James became a huge leader in the Church of Jerusalem. Okay, he, he was a spokesman of the Apostolic Council. We hear a lot about him in Acts because he was, he was one of the leaders of the church. He had a heart for the poor. He had a reputation for honesty and integrity. He was actually known throughout the early church as James the Just. Okay, James the Just. That's a tough look moniker to live up to. Okay. Now the letter of James comprises just 108 verses. So it's a really short one. It's found that's like a chapter in John's gospel. Anyway, it's found near the end of the New Testament. As I said, it's often categorized as wisdom literature. So think of Proverbs. Um, short, pithy sayings, right? Lots of metaphors, lots of moral exhortations. As we get into it, we're going to see, even this morning, we're going to see that it has lots of similarities with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, okay? And, and this is key, and this is why so many people really like it. The issues that James addresses are many of the same issues that we deal with each and every day today, 2,000 years later. In essence, James tackles head-on what it looks like to live out our Christian faith as we navigate the really complex realities of everyday life, okay? So fortunately for us, his letter spoke to his people back then, and it speaks to us today, okay? Nitty-gritty stuff. And he doesn't ease into it. It's not like he takes us in slowly. He jumps right in, because after his one-verse greeting, James looks right away at how Christians deal with trials and suffering, okay? That's, I mean, that's a heavy topic to begin, but that's where he goes. And I'm pretty sure that this is a topic that we're all pretty familiar with, right? And so what James does is he encourages his audience to reframe how they understand their trials in light of who they are, okay? To reframe how they understand their suffering, their trials, their tragedies in light of who we are. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And the verse is up on the, up on the screen. Consider it pure joy, James says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish at work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Now, both James and the Jewish Christians to whom he was writing, they knew, they knew what it was like to experience his trials and suffering, okay? The Jerusalem church, you may remember in the beginning of Acts, we, we hear all about this, the Jerusalem church was the first to suffer persecution, right? Many of its leaders were killed, they were imprisoned, lots, most of the people, most of the rank and file in the church were fled to other parts of the Roman Empire. And those who remained were for the most part poor. And that poverty was made even worse by a huge famine that hit for a number of years in the mid-40s, okay? James himself was stoned to death by the Jewish religious leaders around 62 AD. So this was not a comfy life that these people led, okay? Suffering was a part of their everyday existence. Today, things look a bit different, right? Most of us are, are in a relatively comfortable culture, and we're insulated from much of the suffering that impacts people in poorer nations around the world. But here's the thing, you guys, and we know this. We can't avoid it all. Trials, tragedies, struggles, they are inevitable in everyone's life. Notice that James doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, when you face trials. When you face trials. And people, we know this. We will all experience, if we haven't already, we'll probably experience more. We will all experience trials in our lives. Some of you may be experiencing them right now. Death illness, accidents, financial setbacks, relational losses, all sorts of other trials and struggles, they are simply a part of what it means to be human, right? You guys, we live in a broken world 
And we are all, we are all affected by that brokenness. No one, no one gets a free pass. Not even Jesus got a free pass. And so knowing that trials are inevitable, James urges us to reframe our trials in light of our faith. I like this. Um, someone once said, Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until you put them in hot water. Reminds me of that saying from Forrest Gump about the chocolates. Anyway, um, it's pretty easy to praise God and, and live out our faith when things are, start sailing along, right? Nothing, nothing pressure, no nothing. But if, our, but if our faith is only good when things are going well, then it's not much good. It's not much good. It's in the storms of life where our faith comes to the fore, when it gets tested, when we find out who we really are. But first, step, step back a minute, because before we look at more deeply what James is saying here, I want to take a minute and first be really, really clear about what James is not saying here, okay? Because people get this confused all the time. James is not saying that God causes whatever trials or suffering someone is dealing with, okay? That's really important. James is not saying that God causes whatever trials and suffering that someone is dealing with. We've talked about this before. God doesn't cause tragedies or terrible things to happen to people, okay? God doesn't. God doesn't. Not to punish us or to test us or to get our attention or for any other reason. None of that is part of God's plan for us. These trials, these tribulations, the suffering, they are simply a part of our human experience. As I said, suffering is inevitable. We live in a broken world. So, so, what does James mean when he says, count as pure joy when you face trials? I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I don't usually associate joy with trials and suffering. Those two words don't fit really closely together in my vocabulary. So is James saying that trials and suffering are inherently full of joy? Or that we should somehow welcome and embrace suffering? No, of course not, of course not. James understands that suffering is not what anyone wants, okay? It's, it's bad, 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 bad. But he's saying, he's saying that even in the midst of this bad thing, we can intentionally choose God because, excuse me, we can intentionally choose joy because of what we know about God. Okay, we can choose joy not because of the suffering, but because of the character of God. You probably want me to explain that a little more. Okay, here we go. First, we have a God who loves us more than anything, right? And who promises to walk with us through whatever suffering we're experiencing. We just, we just, we just finished the celebration of Christmas. The decorations are still up here. They may be up here for a little longer. But that's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us in the good times, of course, but also God with us in the hard times. In the, in the times when things look really dark and like the psalmist, we feel like we're in the valley of death. God with us wherever we are. Second, we know, and this is really, really key, we know that trial and tragedy and suffering are not God's last word. Okay? Instead, God is working right in the middle of whatever hard thing we're experiencing to bring about something good, to bring about something good. God may help us find, find meaning in the suffering, a purpose for our lives or for the next period in our life. God may use it to shape or form us or somebody else. God may use it to bring us closer to God. And of course, and this is really key, of course God's final word, final word is always resurrection and new life. You guys, even death, the ultimate in suffering, even death can't hold us, okay? God always has the last word, and the last word is always good. It's always yes. It's always resurrection. It's always new life. I like the, 
I like the way theologian Frederick Buechner puts it. As Christians, because of the resurrection, we know that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing. We know what the last thing is. It's always the best thing, right? The last thing is, is life with God. And so while God certainly doesn't cause trial and tragedies, God won't, God won't let those trials and tragedies be wasted, right? God's going to do something with them. God will always redeem them to bring something good and valuable from them. It is a, it, and so, you guys, it's a pure act of faith. It's a pure act of faith. We put ourselves in God's hands and we trust and, and ideally, we joyfully trust that God will do something redemptive with the suffering that we're going through, with the trial that we find ourselves in the middle of. Ooh, that's one, never mind, those one of those bugs. Okay, and then James assures, he goes on and he assures us that God will give us what we need to endure whatever trial we're going through, okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James does Again, what doesn't James say? James doesn't say that God will take our suffering away. He doesn't say that. But instead, God will give us the wisdom that we need to get through it. The wisdom to know that God is with us. The wisdom to see God at work here. The wisdom to persevere. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. And here, James sounds a little like his brother, right? Because that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at last, last fall. Ask and it will be given to you. Our generous Father wants to give us good things. But James tells us, don't ask. Don't ask if you're double-minded. That, that's a phrase he, he uses. Don't ask if you're double-minded, if you're simply trying to hedge your bets and cover all your bases. You know, I'm going to ask God for wisdom, but also I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing just so I've got everything covered. Instead, ask from a place of confident trust in God's generous and loving character. Again, it all goes back to God's character. This isn't, if this depended on us, guys, we'd be screwed. But it doesn't. It's all dependent on God's generous and loving character. Indeed, a few verses later, James reminds us, every good and perfect gift comes from God our Father. Again, again, people, we know this. We know that God loves us, wants only good for us. God has already demonstrated God's love for us by giving that which was most precious to God, right? God's only son, right? God's promises are certain. God's love is unwavering. That's, that's how come we can trust. Step back a minute to verse 4. If you're following along, you're wondering, how could you have skipped verse 4? It's really important. James speaks of endurance and maturity. When we trust God is with us, when we trust God is working to bring good out of the suffering, then we can look, then we can look beyond our immediate circumstances. It's like the light at the end of the tunnel, right? We can count even our suffering as joy. Again, not that we're feeling joyful, not that this is a great thing that's happening to us, but that we're trusting in God's promises about what is beyond the suffering, whatever good thing God is going to bring out of it. And because of that trust, we can endure what's coming. We can endure the, the suffering that we're in. And our faith becomes more complete, and our relationship with God deepens, and we become more of the people that God created us to be. And sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I see this only in hindsight. When I'm going through it, I can't see squat. But, but later, after I'm done, after I've emerged from the tunnel and there's some light again, that's when I say, oh shoot, there was God. There was God in that. And I bet you we can all think of situations where God worked in the middle of a hard time in our life to bring about something good. Maybe, maybe God changed us or the people around us. Maybe God brought us closer. Maybe God provided some new path that we never would have taken 
had this thing not happened. And, and that's my situation. I, I was thinking about this. And, and so um, it turns out that it was actually exactly 20 years ago this month. Um, I was in this situation where my, my work my work situation at the time was really bad, really bad. I was depressed, I felt, I felt really alone, I couldn't see a way forward, it was, it was not good. Um, so, I, so I had no other alternative. <laughs> I mean, I tried everything else. And so I gave it to God, I gave just the whole mess to God. And I had no idea where God would take it, but I trusted that God would bring something good out of it, or at least not the awful thing that I was imagining could happen, the awful things, okay? Now, I hadn't actually read James at that point, so I'm not sure that there was any joy in there, but it, there was a lot of trust, okay? There was a lot of trust. And, and while this was an awful time, and I wouldn't want to go back and relive that for, for anything, for anything, you couldn't pay me enough. But looking back, looking back in hindsight, I see how this time helped form me, okay? It, it made me in part who I was. Indeed, I would not be doing what I'm doing now. I would not be standing here in front of you if God had not worked in my life back then in the midst of that really rotten, bad thing that was happening. So this, this understanding of, of God redeeming suffering, it's really a basic part of our Christian faith. We don't talk about it much because here in the United States, we really run from suffering like, like everything. We just, we just don't like it. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to admit it's there. Um, but, but back in the first century, Christians dealt with suffering all the time. And Christians deal with suffering all the time here, too, and, and lots of other people dealing with suffering as part of their, their daily life. But it's a basic part of our Christian faith, and it's one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from many other religions. James speaks of it. Paul speaks of it. Peter speaks of it. In Martin Luther's Theology of the Cross, which is just so cool, Lutheran tells us that it is in suffering that we often see God most clearly, which is why I always tell you, you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus on the cross. Okay? That's where we see God's love, God's power, God's strength in the midst of Jesus' suffering on the cross. God works in amazingly counterintuitive, countercultural, upside-down ways. God works in the midst of suffering. Our suffering, Jesus' suffering, all kinds of suffering. So, there's so much, there's a lot, I mean, I could go on, I could go on and on, but I got stuck in these first few verses, and so we didn't get to the rest of the chapter. But I want to end with this quote that I got from a pastor named Adam Hamilton. He got it from another pastor for, for him, but I've also found two similar quotes online attributed to two different people, so I don't know where I got it, to be quite honest with you, okay? But it's a good one. It's a good one, um, it's powerful, and I think James would have really liked it, okay? So, suffering is not God's desire for us but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because our faith is weak, but through it our faith may be strengthened. God does not depend on human suffering to achieve God's purposes, but sometimes through suffering his purposes are achieved. Suffering can either destroy us or it can add meaning to our life. No one wants to suffer, but it is inevitable in our broken world. And as a Christian, we know that suffering and trials and tragedies are not the last word. We know that God is present with us in our trials and that God is redeeming our suffering. And that trust enables us to look beyond the suffering with hope and yes, even with joy as God forms us more into the people that God originally designed us to be. Next week, the power of words.
We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.